0: Welcome to the PA High School Football Report podcast, powered by Penn Live. It's a great time of the year, and even better to know that six programs we crown champions of the state in just a little over a week. I'm Jana Benskoder, alongside senior football writer Eric Epler. Thanks for joining us for the next 25 minutes or so. Ep, how are we doing?
1: I, I added the senior part in there for you, just because I've <laughs> recently celebrated another birthday. It was celebrated quietly. Plenty of blankets, some some soup. I had some soup like like old people do. Uh so I'm I'm finally I finally reached my 30s. Some some all right. But uh but yeah, it was good. It was a good uh, a good day and uh we got to watch some football too. Obviously, it was a Sunday so coming up on another great semifinal week. We are charging toward the end. It's is this is always a great time because you get a little bit more in-depth look at teams you don't get a lot of in-depth during the year, because we're so focused on not only Mid but District 3. And then when the teams start to kind of fall off, um, you know, a lot of your other people are, are looking toward basketball season, which starts in about, I think it starts in probably a week. Now, maybe yeah. next Friday uh, is the first official day uh, for winter yeah. sports. So, um, but we get to stay on the trail and we get to know these teams a little bit more in depth. So it's always a fun time. So, yeah, I, I, first of all, I wanted to ask you, too, uh, welcome back. Uh, Thank you. from the from the Tampa metropolitan area. Uh, I I gave you one suggestion to get to E <laughs> City. Did you get there?
0: I had one job and I did not do it. <laughs> you had one job. Yeah. <laughs> Happy belated birthday, by the way. Thank you. And so you know, we had uh, a jam packed schedule from sun up to sundown. It was a lot of fun. Uh, officials from across the country who, um, you know, made sure that players from across the country followed the rules. But overall, everyone had a fantastic time, um, you know, lots of questions answered to parents, to players, uh, we Saw quality hockey, and I think just overall tons of smiles. You know, some of the younger teams, it was fun to watch them just get started. It was seven aside, U12, very young. You know, I blew the whistle on one young lady and she gave me side eye and this huge <laughs> grin she was in trouble. And I had to wave my hands at her just to look at me to see like no, actually, you, the foul occurred against you. It's your ball. Then she gave me the big smile, biggest giggle. Um, so to see these players enjoy themselves from U, U12, U16, and U19. And, you know, those U19 players, they're so polished and having a great time. It's just so enjoyable to be on the sidelines running with them and seeing how much fun they're having. And, in fact, I noticed that Lower Dolphins head coach, Linda Kreiser, also participated playing. So Kudos to her uh, yes. to be participating in uh, seventy plus degree weather after taking her team to number two. Uh, that's just outstanding.
1: Yeah, yeah, she's she's an outstanding, uh, just an individual. You, you just, I, I I remember talking to her a few a few years ago about continuing to play for USA the Masters team, and right. she was like, "Oh yeah, I'm going to Germany this time," and and she was, we were just in Istanbul, and we were in. You know all these all these great places that she goes to continue her career. It's just it's just so impressive. All right, uh, ever- yeah. Go ahead, Dan. What were
0: you saying? No, I just said the fun never ends.
1: Yes, exactly. All right, let's break down what the next twenty minutes or so are going to be like. We are going to welcome in uh, in about ten minutes uh, our our colleague. You can't call him Long Tom because he's been with live I think less than a year. But sports writer yeah. Dan Costa's is going to join us. He's going to break down the Exeter. Uh, Township Governor Mifflin Battle. He was there on site, and he also uh, wrote a really nice piece on Nick Singleton, arguably the the, the country's top running back in this recruiting cycle, uh, class of 2022. Um, and Singleton gave him a, a, a good chunk of time to kind of recap his career uh, in Shillington. So we'll talk to Dan, and coming up in about 10 minutes, and then we're going Then I'll let you know what two games. Obviously, the uh, semifinals and all six classifications of this week. But two of them are really, really interesting to me. So I'll tell you which games those are, and we'll talk. Obviously, about a few other teams along the way. Uh, Bishop Debit maybe slightly since they got a semifinal in four A against Bishop Shanahan. That'll be Friday night, and I will be there with along along with Dan Sostick. So we'll talk to him about that as well. Yeah, Janet. Let's. I mean, let's get real quick. It's a quick mailbag, just because it's sort of a topic that we've gone over a few times, uh, sort of indirectly, um, with a couple other questions that we had during the season, and it's about the season's length. Can it be shortened? Uh, I got this actually from a uh, guy I know uh, who loves to talk football at uh, at Harrisburg games on Saturday. I, it was covered the Harrisburg state college game on saturday and he talked about the overall length of the season um, is he,
0: just real quick for clarification does he think yeah. it's too long i'm just curious
1: yeah he thinks it's too long it's too long now for me my opinion on this hasn't changed uh i think 16 weeks is fine i think that's that's what it boils down to that's that's how it's been it's been 16 weeks i mean because of the piaa's introduction a few years ago of week zero which we tend not to use just because I, I really don't see the need. <laughs> if it's going to, you know, you know, it, the PIAA season technically is 15 weeks. And week zero, really, it doesn't count as an official week. And that's where the teams have the choice of starting their seasons at the tail end of what used to be the second scrimmage in preseason camp. You would go a week, play a scrimmage, a week, practice a week, play a scrimmage. And then that following week is when you would open the season. The introduction of week zero basically says, at the end of that second week of practice, you are now allowed to start the regular season, if you so wish. And I would estimate, and this is just an estimation, but I would estimate that of the 560-plus high schools, football teams in the state, I would estimate that 98% of them do start on that week zero at the the tail end. So we're almost at full bore there. You know, the case a few years ago was when we – we basically crowned our champions. I believe it was December eighteenth and nineteenth, so less than a week from Christmas. We were the last team in the lower forty-eight to finish the season, and in Pennsylvania, that's not really wise when it comes to weather, uh, weather. being in the Northeast. I mean, teams like Cal- you know, countries or states like California, Arizona, Texas, they all were done a, a week or two prior to win with. Us. That's not going to happen again with the week zero being so prominent now, but. Cutting down even further, that's a district problem. It's not a state problem. It's not a PIAA problem. These districts that continue to qualify 16 teams to their postseason means you need four full weeks you know, you, you, to, to complete a bracket in that classification, and that gets you into the state semifinal round, which is essentially week 15, and then the potentially the finals, which is week 16. So that's where you're ending up. So you have to trim the district landscape to potentially lose another week off the back end. So if you really do want to get it to truly 15 weeks, this has to be changed on a district level. I think it would make the product better overall. I think you would avoid a lot of those first and second round blowouts that you have in some of these districts. We still have a few in in district 3. You know, 5A is a perfect example. That's our heaviest load. We've got 27 or 28 5A schools in our district. So They take 14 or 16, and you still need that full four weeks to complete it. It's tough to ask these schools to diminish or shorten the district playoffs. Why? Money. It always comes down to money, doesn't it? These teams are going to lose maybe a week, an extra week of gate receipts, merchandise sales, concessions, et cetera, et cetera. It's tough to trim that off. But that's really essentially what it boils down to. And now that all districts, pretty much all districts are going to home sites for the first couple of rounds, if not the entire way through. We now go the entire way through with the higher seed hosting. District one does the same. Most districts are kind of turning to that to save money and also make money on the back end. So it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough to get it down one more week. It's doable. I don't think we're in a bad place now anymore with this introduction of week zero and most teams utilizing it. Sixteen weeks, I think, is is about where we're going to be for a long time.
0: From here till eternity, it just seems right. like it could be a logistical monster. It, it, it is rainbow.
1: because it is because each district is heavy in a different classification. I mean, you look at you know now the the one that's probably the most complete would be the Whippel, the Pittsburgh area. You got one hundred twenty seven, hundred twenty eight programs out there, and they're mixed in pretty well uh, between big school and small school. So you're okay to have, I mean, they still have an eight team 6A because they've only got nine or 10 teams in 6A, but it's very, very heavy in small school. So, you know, 1A, 2A, they're all 16 team brackets.
0: Wow. That's a lot to mentally process. We'll let you think about that. And we're going to head now into our conversation with our colleague, Dan Fustick. Here is our recent interview.
1: All right, we are joined by Mr. Dan Sostic, Live sports reporter and colleague. He's been with Live since July. He came over from the Chambersburg Public Opinion and other outlets from other parts unknown. Dan, thank you so much for joining us. How's it going, Eric? It's How's it going, going good, buddy? Yeah. We are getting down to it. Last couple of weeks of high school football, we had several, as you know, Dan, we had several what you might call upsets in the PIAA quarterfinal round and I wanted to ask about a certain District 3 final that you were up close and personal with. That's 5A. It was Exeter Township coming up with a 31-28 victory over Governor Mifflin. As you know, the Mustangs were my number one in 5A for quite some time this season, and I thought they were a surefire bet to make it to Hershey. Give us your overall take on what you saw on Friday night.
2: Yeah, I mean, when an upset like this happens in the playoffs, I think people kind of, you know, focus a lot on, the team that lost, right? They focus on the top guy going down and what they did wrong and everything. But man, from the jump, from kickoff Friday night, Exeter, I mean, this is a team that lost by 20-plus points to Governor Mifflin earlier in the year. You could tell they they came ready to play. I mean, they, they'd they already beat Mannheim Central, who had a talented team of their own right, so they were confident coming in. They came to play early. It was the second straight game, actually, Mifflin fell behind early. Exeter scored first the was touchdown pass to Joey Schlaffer and they, it, that just kind of set the tone. I think that they were, you know, it was not going to be the same game from earlier. I believe it was in September. And I mean, Eric Nangle ran the ball 40 times in the game. And yeah. basically it wasn't not a, there were a couple big runs, but I, I just thought the biggest thing was Mifflin couldn't really, you know, stop him for negative, negative gains. He was gaining yards every play. They kept the ball moving and, It kind of it was a ball control game for Exeter, where they had these long drives that kept obviously the probably the most talented kid in PA off the field for long enough that they could you know hold them off. But it was a really you know really gutsy performance by Exeter, especially after they held a two score lead in the first uh, first half and then Mifflin retook the lead early in the third quarter with two straight touchdowns to for Exeter to battle back. I mean it was really. Nangle and then Penn State commit Joey Schlaffer coming up with some big plays with the connection with Colin Payne. But I know, like I said, the focus is always gonna be on the team that lost. But I, I think Exeter deserves some flowers for a really gritty performance against the team that really beat them handily earlier in the year.
1: Well, that was the big thing for me as obviously I was following your tweets because I was at another game. But um I'm listening, I'm like, all right, they're down 21-7. I'm like, all right, now it's serious. And then it was
2: 28-21 Mifflin, correct? Yeah. Yep. Uh, they basically – after in second half, they um, – uh, so Mifflin scored late in the second quarter to kind of make it a twenty one fourteen 14 game. And then um, Mifflin comes out in the second half, scores a touchdown on a two-yard run, forces a quick three and out, and then a three – I believe it was a three-yard punt um, on – Ooh. crazy windy that Eden Johnson runs for a 28 yard touchdown and they go up 28 21 with 726 in the third quarter and the score stays like that until the fourth and you're starting to think after that touchdown I mean it it felt like in Chillington everyone's sort of thinking yeah this excerpt did the you know where the where the gritty uh underdog exactly, gonna come yeah. out quite well <laughs> but I mean it just sort of you know they just kind of chipped away it was a they um, kicked the field goal 10:56 10 56 left and third. And then, you know, their defense hung around. Mifflin was kind of plagued by some stuff that they've been plagued with. Um, during this playoff run all year. And it was penalties, uh, penalties kind of delayed drives. They couldn't, the pitches that they run to Nick Singleton sometimes didn't work because they would gain like eight yards, but there'd be a hold and exit at the ball back with a force, a quick three and out. And then a 31 yard touchdown, by Eric Nangle. And then with 9:15 to go and, that was the last score of the game, which is pretty surprising that Mifflin couldn't really do anything in the fourth quarter. Were you surprised a little bit on how Singleton obviously didn't get many touches because they didn't run
1: many plays, right? I mean, they didn't. Yeah. I think Exeter held them to what? You you had said something like 30
2: plays overall? Yeah, something like 30 plays. And everyone's kind of looking at that touch total for Nick Singleton, right? That I, I believe it was eight total touches, uh, one catch, seven, seven rushes uh, or nine total touches, eight rushes, one catch. And I mean, nine total rushes for Nick Singleton's uh, not what you want. If you're governor Mifflin, it's not really a great uh, recipe for success, but I do think it was just kind of a game flow thing to a certain extent. There's still ways to get him the ball more. And I'm sure um, the Mustangs are kicking themselves a little bit that they didn't get him the ball as much as they could have. But, They've been a team all playoffs that has been splitting the carries uh, using Aiden Gallon, uh, kind of H back that's really emerged in the second half. And I mean, he had a huge game. He had a huge game a week ago. Yep. It's just one of those things. I think they try to try to keep Singleton a little bit fresh. You could say, hey, this is the time where you don't really need to worry as much about keeping him fresh. It's the playoffs, but it, it really just felt like a game flow thing. I mean, two of the, they didn't really need these long touchdown drives either they i mean the first play from the game first play uh, from scrimmage for mifflin he caught a 50-yard touchdown pass and two of their touchdown drives were results of basically uh three or four yard punts because of the wind where they got the ball really sharp field and scored on the first play and i mean that takes the ball away and then combine that with exeter's offense which was just grinding like 40 rushes for 213 yards for eric nangle kind of tells the story right that they're yeah. they're running they're running for like five to six yards of carry no massive plays in the passing game either i mean the biggest the longest completion was a 33 yard touchdown pass to nangle in the second quarter but other than that it was a lot of you know, out routes to Joey Schlaf or J.R. Or Strauss where they're they're picking up nine yards on third and seven or something like that. And it was it's the perfect formula if you're Exeter, right? To keep Absolutely. to keep those to keep that play that play number limited for Mifflin. So at the end of the day, the if you gave Governor Mifflin some truth serum said, Hey, would you want <laughs> this Nick Singleton to get the ball more than nine times, they'd tell you, yeah. But it's easy to say that now, um but it's tough during the game, I think, when you're not getting that many opportunities. And Eden Johnson was running the ball pretty well. Um, he had like he had a nineteen yard sack or something early in the game, so his rushing numbers are a little bit skewed. Quarterback Eden Johnson was running the ball pretty well on options and, and whatnot. It just felt like it was one of those games where, you know, it kinda got away a little bit.
0: Seems like a very uh, strategic game that you saw. I'm sorry I missed it. But speaking of Nick Singleton, Dan, you got a chance to share some time with him this week. The Penn State recruit, arguably the nation's top-ranked running back. What did you discover about the senior?
2: Yeah, I mean, I just kind of talked to him about his career. I mean, (laughs) he's the all-time leading rusher, I believe, in um, Berks County. And uh, there's some good players that have come out of there. So that tells you a lot. And just talked to him about, you know, this is not the way – he didn't, I don't think he or anyone really expected his career to end in the district three final as opposed to, you know, later on in the state bracket, but he kind of talked about how, you know, he sat down with his dad who, um, and his mom and just kind of reflected on, Hey, that game's not what defines you. What defines you is bringing Governor Mifflin their first district three title and. The absolute insane success he had. One thing that I think him and his family have a lot of pride in is that he stayed at Governor Mifflin with his friends, his hometown team for all four years. You know, in in this day and age, a lot of guys might be looking, you know, to transfer to a bigger school or an even bigger name program, you know, to try to, you know, boost that either recruiting resume or just, you know, kind of play with a ton of other Power Five recruits or whatever. And he didn't do that, and he still made his way to, you know, being the top rated recruiting in the state of pennsylvania and send all those records and i think that's a big big source of pride for both him and his family is that you know he stayed at mifflin and put together that kind of career there
0: so uh for those who have not seen him in person what would you say are some of his best attributes
2: well i think someone described the best i think someone i forget who said it in the press box but someone said this and it's it's pretty accurate you just kind of you kind of know it when you see it with some of these kids. And when you watch Singleton play, it's not even necessarily that he's like, he's obviously very fast, very strong, but it's not even like the speed or the strength. It's the way the player moves way guys miss tackles on him um, that it kind of looks like, you know, Mario in the invincibility star or whatever. And guys are just bouncing off him. I mean, he had a run in the district semifinals that, uh, he described it as best run of the year. It, it was he it, literally just defenders bouncing off him. He can take a pitch. It's the angle. It's the confidence with the, with which he runs. It's just you watch him. You're like that's a high level power five runner. And there's a difference between a high level power five player. And a runner, and like an open field runner, in my opinion, and he's just a guy that you watch him, and you're like, and you know he's gonna be able to do that. to college players too. It's not just a guy that's doing it to solid District Three players, solid um, PIA players. So he's he's a guy that's gonna be able to make high level college football players miss. And I think, like I said, I think it's almost just as much of an like an eye test thing as it is timing you in the forty or seeing how much you can bench press.
1: We're talking to uh, Live sports reporter Dan Sostick, uh, a little bit about Governor Mifflin's loss to Exeter. I wanted to revert back, Dan, to Exeter's chances now moving forward. Next up for them is Penn Trafford, who's the Whippeal champion. And and both are in sort of the same place in the program's history, both with their first-time district titles uh, and moving on now one step before the finals. This team doesn't strike me, Dan. And correct me if I'm wrong. It, it doesn't strike me as a team that's going to. Uh, you can sort of see teams that might have a letdown after a game like Mifflin. I don't see that in this team. I think they obviously, you know, the three losses. You may you may point to the three losses and say, well, you know, the season hasn't gone as smoothly as they wanted to. But you know, when you break off wins against Governor Mifflin and these teams of that caliber. I don't think much phases you. I don't think the big stage is going to phase him at all. Tell me what you really like about exit.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think you said it perfectly. I think if they would have had a letdown game, it would have been after the Manheim Central win when yeah. they taking on a feisty Cedar Cliff team, and the Cedar Cliff played them tough too. And um, I think that this is a team that's been that they said they saw they when the bracket was released, they saw the number eight seed next to their name in District Three, and they were they said we know they they kind of took that. I mean, they understood it's based on math, it's based on numbers, but sure. I think they kind of were offended by it a little bit that where we know we're a better team than this. I mean, and they, they've got a pen. It's not like they're just a bunch of like you know, it's not like they're, they're just like a ragtag group of team. They've got a Penn State committed tight end, Jr. Strauss and to uh, Villanova. They've got some high level talent on this team, and I think they're starting to you know. I think it's kind of just one of those things where, um, you know, things are rounding into shape at the right time. And if Eric Nagle can run like that on Governor Mifflin, I mean, I think they've got to feel pretty confident about doing that against anybody in um, 5A. I mean, they're a team that can do a little bit in both areas on offense, both rushing and passing. I mean, Colin Payne didn't get a ton of shine in, from that game, but he played very well. Pretty uh, mistake-free football for them. I just think that they're going to be a team that's going to be in these games moving forward. I mean, whether, whether they win them or not, who knows at, at this level of the state playoffs, you don't really know, but they don't strike me as a team that's going to, you know, roll over right now.
0: So uh, Bishop McDevitt, you've seen them several times. Do you think that the Crusaders have enough juice to bypass Bishop Shanahan and get back to the PIWA Finals?
2: I would not doubt this, uh, this McDevitt team. There's so much talent there. I mean, you might point and say, hey, they've got a freshman quarterback. It's hard to kind of trust those guys come this point of the year. But I I would counter that Stone Saunders is not your typical freshman quarterback. I mean, it's gotten a little tougher for him um, during this playoffs. He is a different level of talent, I think, than a lot of kids that come up and start playing from ninth grade. But I mean, I think what's going to make McDevitt so dangerous in these coming games is th- that backfield they have. They've got two running backs that I think if one of them was the only running back for a team in, P- in basically all Pennsylvania, I think, and they were their only guy, they'd rush rusher, I mean, 1,500, 1,600 yards. Mm-hmm. But they've got two guys in like Marquise Williams and Sincere Bowers that both to me seem like definitely Division One level talent and maybe even – the higher levels of division one and um, to have two guys like that this time of the year, when the weather's getting cold, uh, it's harder to throw the ball. It's windy out. To have two guys like that, you can spell that basically <laughs> the defense is has hands on its hips and you're feeding in a running back. Who's one of the best in the area that um, is at full strength. I mean, I think that's such an advantage. And then you combine that with that pass game with that really strong offensive line and the defense that is, really emerged i mean they've been great all year but it's one of those things where you had to see it in the playoffs to really know just how good they are and they have exceeded those expectations in the playoffs i mean uh last week against lampeter it was a uh, just a tremendous showing by them they've got what it takes to you know get back to that championship game and we'll see bishop shanahan's a, a soft team with a kind of you know a big big uh big physical line that should be able to challenge him a little bit but I, I think this is a this is a really strong McDevitt team. And it, one thing about this McDevitt team that I kind of wish we got to see this year, they, they missed a couple games uh, due to COVID protocols. We we never got to see that Harrisburg uh, McDevitt hey. game earlier this year. Really would have liked to see that one because you always get upset um, in the playoffs this year when you uh, you never get to see those type of matchups because of the different classifications. But in 5A, I think that they've got as good of a shot as anybody.
1: All right, Dan, well, you and I will find out on Friday night. We're headed, we're both headed to Coatesville area high school for that one against Bishop Shanahan. Dan, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it, my man. I will see you on Friday.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me, Eric. It's thanks again to Dan
0: for his insight. Dan and Ep will be doubling up on the Bishop McDevitt semifinal versus Bishop Shanahan at Coatesville area high school on Friday night. So be able to be sure to follow their updates on Twitter and read their game stories on penlive.com. Give us the insights on the games that you're watching this week. (laughs) Uh,
1: Well, you know, obviously the 12 semifinal games around the state, they all have interesting subplots, but these are the most intriguing to me. The first one, of course, is in 3A. Number one, it, for me, is why I'm missing versus Newman Goretti. This is Friday night, 7 p.m. at Massive Penridge High School. It's in that Allentown-North Philly corridor up there. So uh, we talked at nauseam about how why I'm missing system really gives opponents problems, not to mention right. the discipline that Bob Wolfram's coach teams bring. It's just tough. You don't worry about 11 guys on offense or defense. You worry about 15, 16, 17 guys because they do have these plug-and-play guys that come off the bench Keep legs fresh. So the system just continues to work and grind out opponents. The Saints, of course, are super athletic and they're teeming with FBS talent. They have to not hurt themselves to kind of get over this hurdle of why missing, because you know why missing is not going to hurt themselves. They don't put the ball on the ground. They don't make silly mistakes. And that's something that Newman has to sort of mirror. If they do, it's going to be a whale of a football game from start to finish. So if you like sort of contrasting styles. Sort of the system versus pin your ears back, which is sort of always, <laughs> always fun to watch. Uh, yeah. This matchup is definitely, definitely for you. The second one, we'll have all eyes on it because this is the, the last semifinal to be played over the weekend. This is Saturday night at Ridley High School, 7 o'clock. St. Joe's Prep, of course, everyone knows, versus Garnett Valley's District 1 champion. As most know, the Hawks have pretty much owned 6A uh, since the expansion year of 2016 and a few more years before that. But a couple of District 1 champions and Whippeal champions have been close to kind of topping St. Joe's Prep in this round. Last year it was Southerton, uh, who only lost 51-43. The year before, the Hawks went west and outlasted Pittsburgh Central Catholic at Haunted Mansion Park. Coatesville was close in 2017. They lost by four in an absolute epic battle between the 12-1 and but this might be the best all-around D1 champ in Garnett Valley to line up in a while, uh, maybe maybe since that Coatesville team of 2017. So uh, the Jaguars just pasted a very good Coatsville team, by the way, by 40 in the District 1 title game. So that's no joke. So if I were St. Joe's, I, I would definitely not be overlooking this battle against Garnett Valley. Most people who I have talked to have this sort of a 60-40 in favor of Garnett Valley. They think this is sort of the year that the St. Joe's prep can be topped, but you still got to go out and do it. You know, I mean, St. Joe's, it's a semifinal, it's it's high drama. And again, the Hawks find a way and their quote unquote national schedule, which was kind of less this year, but it's still St. Joe's prep. They still own the classification, and you still got to go out and do it. So that'll be an epic battle. Like I said, that's one uh, everybody. Everything will be wrapped up except that semifinal, seven o'clock Saturday night. So you're gonna have a lot, a lot of interest there.
0: Again, exciting stuff. Awesome. Great athleticism to look forward to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that will do it for this edition of the PA High School Football Report. Special thanks to Dan Sustic, and as always, my partner Epp. Get out there and watch some semi-football, semifinal football, and come back next week to hear all about it. Drop us a line at Twitter at three jacker for Epp and at J 51 for me. And remember, all episodes can be found on Spotify, ACAS, Apple Podcasts, and more. Have a great weekend. Yeah.